Welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast by Center for New Medicine, and I am your host, Leanne Lindsay. And today I'm interviewing our counselor and our director of inner healing, Virginia Dixon. And we're talking about a topic that might not be so common when Valentine's Day draws near. I think we're all used to a lot of content around relationships and how to nurture relationships, how to ignite the spark again in relationships. But today we are actually going to be talking about healing a broken heart in a way to validate that during this time there are many many people not in relationships or in relationships that have ended or are healing from a broken heart and we thought it could be just a really profound interview episode on this topic and so virginia shares some really powerful insights on how she helps her patients who come in with a broken heart begin to walk along that path of healing and what some of those steps might entail. So with that, please enjoy this interview with Virginia Dixon. Well, Virginia, welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And with Valentine's Day coming up, we're talking about a topic a little different than I think what most people are used to around this time of year. I think we're used to Valentine's comes around and there's lots of content out there about how to rekindle a relationship and, you know, the best date ideas. But we're talking on a topic that I think can be really just as relevant during this time, which is healing a broken heart. So when you have a patient who comes in with a broken heart, where do you even begin with them where do i begin first of all i help them reason that there's significance in everything they're experiencing and then i help them find the significance and reasoning through the confusion and the chaos and the dis-ease that they find themselves in Specifically, when we discuss a broken heart, that's something that we've all experienced to some extent. And what's foundational to deal with the broken heart, what's foundational to keep in mind is first and foremost, it's something we're all familiar with to some extent or another. And the second thing I think that's very important is that to consider that if we're talking about something that's making us that has us in a state of dis-ease, we're looking for transformation. We're looking for change. And I find that many times people like to reiterate a mantra, a story, a narrative. And they talk about transformation, but they don't know where to start. How do I mend this broken heart of mine? How do I get out of this rut? How do I make the pain stop? And as we reason, and we find the significance in everything that's happened, that's happening to them or that they're experiencing, I find that there's many layers and there's many threads to the tapestry that makes up this trauma, let's say. But we begin by displacing the things that are creating the chaos and the confusion and the dis-ease, but we have to go straight to the mind 
because transformation ultimately happens in our mind. And here we come into this conversation you and I have all the time that people aren't aware that they have three constituents. They have three constituents that govern every single facet of their lives. And it is a spirit that works through a soul and a body. The spirit is this quantum field we often reference and we have the capacity to draw light or darkness, good or bad. I'll stop there. I could go on and on and on to talk about the despair, the difference or the choices that we have, right? Because they're really clear. I'm going to do what is life-giving or I'm going to do something that I know later I'm going to regret, but I don't care, mm-hmm. right? So when we understand that field that we can access, the question is, what do we consult? It's our soul, our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience, our feelings is where that transaction takes place and then it impacts and affects our bodies, right? But for today, since we're talking about understanding what bankrupts how we love or what confuses how we love or what um, confuses us about the pain and the situations we have found ourselves in, I think it's really important to consult the mind, which is a function of the soul. And when we consult the mind, we realize that that's where a lot of the confusion and the chaos and all that is seated. So we have to realize that we have a lot of power and authority to change that mind. Now, how do we transform our minds? It's through thoughts, right? Thoughts feed our mind. There's two kinds of thoughts we have and we're not always aware of. We have those things that we have deep understanding about and those are usually negotiated in our soul and they're the stories we tell ourselves and that's all the information we access and we can transact through there and then we have these narratives that are carried in our body and in our DNA and here working with practitioners studying the work of Dr. Homer, Jobel Renald and many 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 brilliant doctors that have made that spirit soul body connection and have drawn the correlation between all those states and states of disease, right? States of being in disease, we find that, and I use these terms loosely, but a a knowledge is kind of carried on and passed on generationally. And we'll talk about that in later podcasts. But understanding is a function of the soul. The disparity between those two things are where we experience the measure of dis-ease that we often talk about. So ideas we have about ourselves, they generally come not just from our experience, but these profound and complex family systems we come from, right? Mm. But to address specifically what tends to impact our hearts and our souls, it's the communication between those narratives we're passed on generationally and the stories we tell ourselves from the experiences we've had. But at the end of the day, we have an image, I guess is what I'm saying. It's a spirit, a soul, and a body, and that is the image we acquired from this created order that we live in, right? But then we get our identity from our moms and our ancestors and our dads. So understanding how we love becomes really, really important. And I have some good resources, I think, that'll further clarify that. Sure. Did that make sense? Yeah. No, it did. It sounds like 
what you're, I guess in simpler terms I'll say is we, we have two forms of thinking in a way. We've got the conscious sort of intellectual thinking and reasoning, and then we have this unconscious, subconscious beliefs, limiting beliefs, things that maybe we inherited or that we picked up subconsciously as a child that are also running exactly. in the background. Exactly. The body has an intelligence. The body has a narrative. It has a story. And it's, it's really, I mean, we are really fearfully and wonderfully made. And the intricacy of our constitution goes far beyond anything we could imagine in our wildest dreams. And every single day I show up for work, it seems like I discover another treasure leading me to a great deal of clarity of how amazing and how beautiful and how sacred everything is about our common humanity, no matter the state we find ourselves in. When we find ourselves with broken hearts and a shattered soul, I guess what I want people to know is there are so many amazing things you can discover in reasoning the significance of the place you find yourself and finding the significance in reasoning and in so doing, you will displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. And the tapestry of all this, I know, is a subject of other podcasts that you and I have done, have recorded together, and future ones. But it's an amazing story. And one of the things I do want to help people do is I want them to think differently beyond just feeling like victims of circumstances and like they're stuck in these ruts. I want them to, I want to invite them to embark on this pilgrimage into this place of rest where we learn and we discuss how to reconcile these conflicts. Because although it seems academic right now, you've worked with me before, you know we get very practical one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things that I think may, perhaps we can do in future podcasts is invite a person to discuss the practical aspects of what I just said. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like a patient? Yeah. Yeah. It'd oh, be that fun. would be so neat. Yeah. To have a conversation. Several with have volunteered, by the way. So, oh, yeah. wow. That'll be so great. Yeah. So basically, I begin by helping them reconcile the disparity between the stories they tell themselves and the narratives that they're carrying on into the present mm -hmm. time. Because our stories don't really begin at home. They begin in the home of the home of the home of our parents, parents, parents. And when we begin to do that, something amazing happens. We begin to receive this thing called grace, this unmerited favor, this thing that, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm not alone in this state that I find myself in and that I feel so despondent. And then you put your story in the context of other stories and you, you kind of begin to accept that we all live under grace right now. And when that happens, people have the capacity to begin to extend themselves another mercy and forgiveness. And I can't tell you how that heals a broken heart mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you're not a victim in a narrative or you're not getting the raw end of the stick always in relationships. All of a sudden the prism widens, right? and the lens becomes very clear and you start seeing that we're all having this experience on this side of eternity mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful thing because what we in fact have is an opportunity 
to think beyond ourselves and experience that perhaps the confusion, the chaos, and the disease that we experienced at home and how I learned to adapt to that is really something I have a lot of power over to change. And so I'd like to discuss that as you see fit. Um, I give them a brief questionnaire in the most practical ways, right, that helps them determine basically how they love and their attachment style. The research on attachment, by the way, is exhaustive and can be easily researched by all the listeners. Because when you begin to understand how you love, you begin to see the complexity of your broken heart and your shattered soul beyond just the narratives of your story. Mm -hmm. Beyond just even that one relationship that led to the broken heart. Exactly. You begin to realize what led to this is a much, much bigger, Mm -hmm. there's a much bigger picture. There's many other factors that contributed to this. Exactly. um, This practical resource that I use is called How We Love. The book is How We Love by Mylin and Kay Yorkovich. And I like it because it talks about a marriage relationship. So even if you're single, you might not be in a marriage relationship or even if you're a teenager and you read this book, it helps you give context to your parents and the home you grew up in. And I find that that in and of itself begins to take it immediate, it's transformative because you begin to see your parents not as mom and dad, but as Tom and Judy, Hazel and Vince, whatever it is, you begin to see them as human beings, as people that inherited the same kinds of complexity that you find yourself in. And that's where I think we can all begin to say, wait a minute, we're all under grace, right? There's unmerited favor towards us as human because we're all broken, right? And then it, that's where I say that mercy comes in. We, look, we can extend each other mercy. We can overlook an offense more easily mm-hmm. when we can understand. So when we understand these attachment styles and how our parents loved, how they got along, um, whether we received comfort or not, how they, um, the affection they displayed mm-hmm. towards one another and how, all those things become important, believe it or not, in the narratives of our own stories. Because even the people that broke our heart or whether we keep breaking our own heart, we can begin to think about it beyond the story in the context of this real human experience that we all share. And it's complicated. When we understand these family systems, right, we begin to understand um, attachment styles. And I spend a lot of time helping people understand the five fundamental attachment styles. The original research cites more, but for all intended purposes, I think these five attachment styles that we can discuss whenever you see fit will be really helpful in helping people identify where they come from, where they find themselves. Because although we might not like to see it this way or admit it, hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. So if we want the hurt to stop, we need to understand what was happening with those hurt people, what caused that hurt, and how am I becoming that, and how do I break this cycle? And so when you can understand how you love and how your family loved, how your mom loved, how your dad loved, maybe how your grandparents loved, amazing things happen like that Mm -hmm. instantaneously. Yeah, and it takes so much courage and bravery to 
maybe be the first one in your family to even start examining those things. But I think it would be super helpful if you could just briefly go over each of those five Mm -hmm. attachment styles and just a little bit what that might look like in a family. It does. And I want to say something. It It does take an enormous amount of courage and it does take faith. And frankly, it can be chilling for some people given the family systems they come from. But when they can have the courage to reason the significance of things and find the significance in reasoning, that is instrumental in displacing the confusion, chaos, and disease. Because if transformation happens in our minds, be transformed through the renewing of your mind, right? If transformation is happening in our mind, we must reason. But when we feel, which is a function of the soul, and emote, emotions are a function of the brain, when we feel things deeply and we don't understand the difference between the internal function of feelings, for example, and the expression of emotions, and we don't understand the difference between those things, it can, it can become a vacuum that just sucks us alive, mm-hmm. sucks our life the life out of our very souls. Mm -hmm. So five attachment styles, fundamental attachment styles. Controller, victim. Those generally come out from the same home. They come from the same place. A controller and a victim generally are raised in a home where there's a form of addiction and there's a measure of abuse emotional, spiritual, physical abuse, but generally speaking, there's a form of addiction. Then you have the pleaser. The pleasers grew up in the form, and I think the words speak for themselves, so I'm not going to elaborate on the words, but the pleaser is a person who always says, oh, sure, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm happy to do that. The person who's always doing everything for anybody seems like the nicest, sweetest, happiest, most wonderful person in the world. That person grew up in a critical home that was driven by a significant amount of fear. Parents tend to be like helicopter parents in that kind of a home. And not one, it can be one or both. It's generally, I find, one parent that has one of these characteristics Mm. and then you have a vacillator and a vacillator is always can be easily identified because there's been abandonment in their life so when you think about what's even happening to family systems right in the last 20 30 years you understand why there is so much vacillating sometimes I think it's not a an accurate term uh, and it's not an accurate definition but sometimes you find them in people that seem really unstable bipolar borderline people um that it can manifest the attachment style can manifest in those things although there's other complexities to Mm -hmm. bipolar and borderline but you see the they're unpredictable vacillating they're hypervigilant. They're always waiting for the next shoe to drop. They don't know what's coming or what's going, so they are very, very focused and concerned about others. And then you have the avoider. And the avoider kind of learned to become somewhat independent early on in life, perhaps before they were fully equipped to emotionally process and learn a lot of emotional adaptive resources beyond shutting down and going away. They're kind of like islands. They can't figure out why everyone 
doesn't get it and everyone can't just get over it and move on. So the profile of the controller and the victim, they're the same people and they tend to attract each other. And by the way, every single one of these attachment styles, right, has a spectrum from one to 10, mm -hmm. let's say, or one to five. So we can all have pieces of each of them and most of us will have stronger tendencies towards specific ones. Exactly, and that's a great, um, that's a great point you made. Mm -hmm. So when they know how their parent, parents loved, right, they realize, and when they understand how they love, and they see how their parents loved, they realize, wow, that's where triggers come from, from these places that kind of sabotage even our soul sometimes. Our central nervous system gets triggered by some of these experiences that we have from our developmental years right mm -hmm. and especially like say we grew in a chaotic home where there was addiction and there was measures of abuse and neglect is a form of abuse you have that child that has to become almost the parent in the home because everybody else is disengaged so that child is victimized by their circumstances right they don't have the capacity to support themselves outside of that family system and so when they're not being victimized, they're stepping into a position of control to manage things so they can survive the situation they're coping with. So you can see how in that situation, that person learns to become a controller. And when they're not controlling, they feel victimized. Mm -hmm. And you see the chaos of that, right? And by the way, the controller is a victim. And the victim is a controller. So if you hear somebody who's always, something is always wrong, nothing ever goes their way, they're a victim in the situation, you have to understand that the flip side of that is control. And then the controlling person who's obnoxious, who's really disruptive in relationships, at work and all that, if we could take time to reason the significance of what you're experiencing with that person, you'll realize, wait, if that person's a controller, perhaps they've been victimized. I wonder what their story is. And one of my favorite quotes is from an old Chinese, ancient Chinese proverb. And it says, an enemy is only someone whose story you don't know. Mm. Oh, wow. So, that's, yeah. that's super powerful. It is powerful. So helping, you said something I think really impactful earlier too, which is oftentimes people take on it's sort of that idea of victimization it's this i always get the short end of the stick why can't a relationship ever work out for me and part and of and i'm broken i just my heart is hemorrhaging and mm -hmm. i don't know how to make it stop yeah and part of what these five attachment styles helps us land on is there's two parts okay this is what happened i'm gonna look at it i'm gonna see this pain i'm gonna feel it i'm gonna let it flow through me but then the only thing i can do from there is ask myself how can I be a better version of me going forward mm -hmm. I like what you said about really putting I always think of a puzzle putting these 300 puzzle pieces on the table a hundred is your spiritual constitution another hundred is your soul your mind your heart your will your conscience and another hundred is your body so you have to reconcile the conflict within yourself first and to do it you do need to consult what are the stories you've been telling yourself and then put that on one column right 
and then these stories you tell yourself and these narratives you believe, what did you access according to the counsel of your own volition and your own free will during the course of your life? Did you access from light or dark? Did you do the things that were right or the things that you knew were wrong? Because the law of God, this law of nature is written in the heart of man and the conscience bears witness. So you're very clear on your role and the decisions you made to get you where you're at. So I always encourage people, let's reason the significance of those things and find significance and reasoning to displace the confusion. And it's a beautiful thing because there is where we think, oh my gosh, wait a minute, I didn't look at this that way. But I really had a lot of power and authority to determine the outcome of that. And I chose this and I knew I was choosing this against my better judgment. Well, guess what? They silenced the voice of their conscience. So they chose something else to accommodate what they wanted in the moment. There's three things that bankrupt us all. I want, I need, I deserve. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three things are what bankrupt us all. So in that particular part of our of the discussion, right, of the reasoning, the significance of things, amazing things always emerge because people say, you know, I didn't look at the decision I made as being anything but a righteous or the right decision but now that you put it in this context I realized I was only thinking about myself and I did want I did need and I did deserve and I threw caution to the wind instead of consulting reason because there's other people involved there's other situations involved there's my anatomy involved if I consume x y and z it's going to do If I consume ABC, it's going to do X, Y, and Z to me. And I knew it, and I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so when we do that, I always start with reconciling the conflicts within yourself. And then we consult these family systems and the impact of this baton that's been passed on to me from unresolved conflicts of those who came before me and this baton and what did I do with it, right? And then we go back to, hey, what are the decisions I made? When did I violate my own conscience, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't see this thing that mom passed on to me from chaos and confusion, for example. And this thing as an opportunity to change, I kind of saw it as something like, now I had to become a parent in that relationship. And I lost my childhood. Well, what if that was an opportunity for you now to take all those stories, all those narratives and say, wow, this is how I'm going to change. I'm going to understand that confusion and chaos and dis-ease that, my, that I blame my parents for. I've been living in that for the last 25 years. And I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's where I think people transact significant change. That's where I see it happening. But every story we tell ourselves is not necessarily true. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's something you have this really refined, almost sixth sense (laughs) of knowing, being able to listen to someone and say, let's dig deeper into that. I hear what you're telling me intellectually, Mm -hmm. but let's see if that really is the truth. If your body's telling me something else. Exactly. And of course, you know, I have a, a number of neurotechnologies that I use to help show them that the stories they're telling themselves is an act is in direct opposition to the, what their body's carrying. I'm reminded of a couple that came in and the the wife had cancer and he had cancer. 
and um, he had colon cancer and she had breast cancer. And he basically came in and said, look, she is not okay. She's a problem. She's doing this. She's sabotaging herself and I'm afraid she's going to pass and he's saying all these things about her and how he's tried to do all these things for her all these years but she's the one that doesn't get it well while I'm scanning him his body is telling me no bully with an intent to bring harm um, stubborn not easily forgives an offense you know all kinds of different things about him so everything he's telling me that she's doing in fact his body is consulting me and telling me, uh, no, that's why he has colon cancer, because what he's done is create a culture in the home that has created this state of disease, not just for him, but for his wife. And I'm not getting into the specifics of what that turned out to be, but, he, but it was amazing. And we were able to reconcile these narratives that they were each telling themselves and he experienced freedom and so did she mm -hmm. and yeah can you and what you're referring to just so the listeners know is you're talking about evox mm -hmm. and then i know also you often utilize saraset a hundred percent and i'll make sure to link videos of descriptions of those for the yeah. audience so you guys can go learn more about each of those definitely Yes. And I and one of the reasons I love working at Center for New Medicine and I love collaborating with Dr. Keneally is I think for many, many, many years before it became the popular thing to do, I think she had an intuitive understanding of this complex web between these emotional states and disease. And certainly in Germany and in other countries throughout the world, this conversation has been going on for 50, 60 years, but mm -hmm. yeah. it's amazing that we've had people with courage like her to create a clinic where we can connect these various states of dis-ease with these emotional complex conditions, and I take it further and I begin to deal with the whole family system. But I deal with it in such a way that it's more like coaching and it's more like facilitating these discoveries for the, I call them clients, but they're patients here at the clinic. But I feel like they're, because we have this collaborative relationship and we've got to do this together. Mm -hmm. Can't do it without them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. The, the How We Love resource is incredible and I help them understand the hunger of their soul. When we have a hunger, and there's two amazing resources, if it's okay with you, I'd like mm -hmm, to share sure. at the end. But the there's a book that I was asked to endorse, and I was honored to do so. He was one of my mentors by Dr. Otis Ledbetter. And it's called Soul Hunger. And one of the things is about Valentine's Day that people don't often recognize is that our capacity to love and understanding our capacity to love and understanding how we love is probably one of the most significant endeavors we can seek to undertake because we use love to sustain life. Love sustains life. We're hardwired to love. Dr. Caroline Leaf speaks about that extensively, but the brain is hardwired to love. And if we neglect understanding and reasoning the significance of learning how to love well, we do ourselves a great disservice. 
But what drives that need and that capacity to love is the deepest hunger of our soul. And I'd like to do a podcast on soul hunger next time, um, perhaps in the next few months, so I can introduce people that aren't going to read the book or take go check out the resource so I can help them understand that it's the deepest hunger of their souls that makes them access these various love styles that they adopted as children and understanding the relationship between the hunger of our soul it's no different than the hunger of our stomach when we're hungry and we haven't eaten we do what we pick up all kinds of trash but when we understand hey this hunger is going to come and I need to be prepared to meet it, right? Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Then we prepare and we have adequate resources to sustain our life. Soul hunger is no different. I want to help people understand the hunger of their soul because not all humans are created with the same hunger. They're like fingerprints. And Mm -hmm. it's fascinating when you understand the relationship between soul hunger and how you love it's too much of a, too complex of a topic to introduce right now, but I did want to give them a resource to the website. Mm-hmm. We all have the power and the authority when it's all said and done, right, to manage and change the absolute core of an entire our entire constitution by transforming our minds. And we do both of those things by understanding how we love and how we were loved. Mm, oh, that's so beautiful. And so just to reiterate, the there's a book, it's called Soul Hunger, but there's also a website that has a quiz. Is that correct? There is for both of them. I would invite everyone to go to purchase the book, How We Love by Mylin and Kay Yorkovich. I had the pleasure of working with him closely and my husband and I, and I find that the research on attachment he, is, he did not author the research on attachment. He accesses the fruit of that research and correlates it, to be honest with you, with princi- biblical principles of individual self-government and all kinds of foundational principles that speak to laws of nature that are self-evident and will appeal to the natural affection of everyone reading it. So regardless of your, wa- the, your age, the walk of life, your walk of life, your religion, your political orientation, regardless of everything, there is something in that book for everyone. I use it as a foundational resource to help people identify how they love and how their parents loved Mm -hmm. and to identify these patterns. By the way, not just in themselves and in their families of origin, but to become, um, to begin having significant conversations with their peers, with their children, with those in their spheres of influence about these systems and these way these ways that we have of communicating and engaging with each other it's really a, a fascinating resource and he he cites of course the original resources and the original research on attachment which by the way spans about 70 years or more now um yep so how we love and how we love.com and the other resource would be soul hunger and the soul hunger test i think you can find it online and it is just fascinating you get instant results you can print out and share perhaps with your spouse or your partner or your children or your family Mm -hmm. and i would encourage everyone to talk about 
in, in so doing and in coming to these realizations, identify the implications of these love styles on yourself first. Examine yourself, take responsibility, learn how to receive grace in it all and extend yourself in other people mercy. Oh, that was so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Virginia. I think this is just going to be, I think, a refreshing take on what could be discussed around mm -hmm. Valentine's Day. And I know mm -hmm. it's just going to pour so much life and energy into the listeners. Yes. And as you well know with me, it's hard to move from the academic and explaining the structure of these things into the practical in these short podcasts. Mm -hmm. But at least it's an introduction to help people reason perhaps differently. Take things that are conventional in a conventional way of looking at ourselves and others, and in this case at Valentine's Day, and perhaps taking a broader look at it. But it's difficult to discuss these topics for me in a brief segment because my heart is in making things very, very practical. But we do that in a number of events that I'm hoping to begin hosting here at the clinic, and we all, I also host them, and they can get more information from my website. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping to also host more of those events here at the clinic so people can get information. Yes. And apply, these, apply the principles that we discuss in the podcast in quick, easy way. And mm -hmm. when we get together and in a group, it's so easy to do. And all of a sudden, things that seem so devastating are not. Mm -hmm. They're manageable. And for the audience, if they're local to Southern California, to Orange County, of course, there'll be an email, phone number in the show notes that you can book an in-person consultation with you. But do you also do virtual consultations? I do, okay. virtual consulta consultations. And I have clinic days. And of course, I have days outside of the clinic where I do a number of things and speaking engagements and I see people. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I'll but make it's sure. wonderful. It's a wonderful space. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes. So if you as the audience are wanting to get in touch with Virginia, you will just have all the information you need right there. But again, thank you, Virginia, so much. Thank you, Leanne. It was a pleasure being with you this morning. <laughs>